Welcome back to another episode of the podcast for my new book, Hopeless Romantic, The Untold History of Ethiopia. We're continuing this podcast. I hope you guys are having fun. I hope you guys are learning a lot. And uh, with that being said, you guys know what time it is. We always kick it off the right way. We're going to start with a prayer. Uh, it's not different this time. Let's gather our thoughts to do the prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Holy, holy, holy is your name, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us together. We ask that you open up our hearts and, and, and teach us what you have prepared for us today. God, we ask that you bring peace into this world. We ask that you bring peace into our nation. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the intercession of the Virgin Mary and that of the angels and the saints, we pray, amen. All right, let's go ahead and, and get uh, started. Before I forget, I just want to keep on saying it over and over. I sound like a broken record, but make sure to get my book. I know that you're listening to the podcast, and thank you so much for that. But I promise you, you're going to get a lot more out of reading the book and then listening to the podcast. It's okay if you pause right now. Pause. Go to Amazon, or as your parents might say, Amazon.com. Type in Hopeless Romantic. Order the book and then continue to listen. If you want to see other context, uh, contents that I post, you could go to uh, Instagram and follow me at dmulina, or you can fi- follow me on Twitter at uh, dawitmulina6. Um, I want to take a second to thank my patrons for supporting me. Honestly, I couldn't do this without you. And if you want to be a patron and support the cause that I'm doing and, and so I can uh, continue to put out these contents, make sure to go to patreon.podbean.com forward slash dawitmulina. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get started for today's podcast. We have several things to talk about, and I hope you guys are ready for that. Um, last time we started uh, the chapter three, which was the things I do for you. Now, if you guys forgot, chapter three is about the need to do good things for other uh, people, right? This is kind of how I, I, I kick it out. Now, again, the book is written for like a um, a metaphor using the love that exists between a husband and a wife. And in this chapter, I'm reviewing the need to, uh, you know, in a relationship, uh, you do good things for other people. And that's always good. Right? That's always good. But sometimes, you know, you want to be appreciated. And in, in this chapter, I'm focusing on all the good things that uh, Ethiopia has done for others, right? And we looked at how Ethiopians were willing to accept foreigners uh, and how they were able to take care of others. And the reason why I'm bringing all this stuff up is because there's this misconception that um, the Ethiopian church is somehow connected with the a particular tribe and specifically the Amhara tribe and you see this in social media all the time it's like you know the Ethiopian Orthodox Order Church is is all about Amhara and much more recently you'd see um, arguments being made of for example you know people saying why, why is there no Oromina being used um, now I don't know if you guys how much you're keeping up with this stuff but it's important to mention that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church actually uses gitis 
and as we've said several times, Giz was the spoken language of the time in in the Aksumite period in the sixth century before the tribes that we know now came to be. And to be fair, um, even Kadasi to this day is conducted in Giz. I mean, some of the readings are in Mark, but most of them are are done in, in Giz. And when I hear people saying like, look, you know, why is the Kadasi not in Oromanya? My response is, well, it's not in Amarinya either, right? Um, and it's confusing for, uh, you know, especially church people to, to hear these type of accus- accusations when you're saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. How is it par- like specifically connected with the Amhara tribe or, or whatnot when, number one, Christianity did not originate in Ethiopia? It originated somewhere else. Uh, and number two, even in the holy books, we see that the Ethiopian Orthodox community was were willing to accept and consecrate foreigners at, to be holy and saints. So they weren't really looking at who where they came from, but what they were doing. Um, And today, you know, we're continuing this conversation uh, about how this is just a misconception that exists. And, uh, you know, it saddens me to see, especially young people uh, equate, you know, how Christian, the, the history of Christianity in Ethiopia to the history of Christianity in the rest of the world. Uh, for example, in the rest, the other parts of Africa, of course, through colonization, you guys know the famous saying, uh, you know, is the colonizers came in um, and uh, we had the land and uh, they had the Bible and then we closed our eyes and then we had the the Bible and they had the land. This is a very famous saying, right? So, the, the of course, the saying is to talk about how Christianity was used to colonize people. And it was, it was, and I promise we're going to talk about it. It's just not true for the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church. It's just not true for the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church. In fact, we'll see in future uh, sections how um, even that very idea that the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church, like people were forced to convert, like that happened in other parts of the world. But in Ethiopia, not really. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, we'll talk about that. But in this episode, uh, I want to keep on uh, addressing, did it favor a particular tribe? Um, and, you know, of course, my answer is no. And, and, and last time we kind of left off saying it's one thing to take care of like Christians who are foreigners. But what's more amazing about the kingdom of Aksum is that the Christians at the time were... Uh, willing to accommodate non-Christians. And I think this is a very uh, amazing trait, right? Um, And we know this because during the time of uh, Prophet Muhammad, uh, when he first started, uh, you know, going around and and saying that there was this new revelations he he had. Now, if you guys don't know anything about um, the Prophet Muhammad, he was from the Quraysh tribe. And uh, when he first began teaching about this new revelation that he had uh his own tribe uh uh persecuted him and they opposed his teachings of this new prophet and uh his followers were scared and they didn't know what to do 
And eventually, uh, the followers were scared. They didn't know what to do. So many Muslims sought refuge from the Ethiopians. And what did our ancestors do? They received them with open arms. Now imagine that. There's this Christian nation. Um, and, you know, like uh, th throughout history, we were, we were made to believe that, you know, Christians and Muslims are uh, they, they oppose each other. By the way, there's a lot that can be said. If you guys actually go back and read the Quran, you'd see that uh, they weren't meant to be opposing sides at all. In fact, Islam was like a call originally for a righteous living. Um, and a lot of the, the, the writings about uh, Christians is, is not as negative as we're led to believe. It's actually like, hey, like let's let's live with them, let's live in harmony, let's let's do this, and and I think over a period of time we're just taught to hate each other and to think of each other as enemies, and we're really we're really not. We can live in harmony, right? Um, when it comes to theology, we can say, hey, you know, like this is what we believe. We as Christians, we believe in a triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. No, we do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God. Uh, we believe in, in, in Christ. We believe in the Virgin Mary being the intercessor. Uh, we could we could say this is what we believe. And other people could say, okay, well, you know, that's not for me. Uh, I am a Muslim and I believe in this thing. It's like, okay, that's fine. We could still live in harmony. Okay, you know. But um, throughout history, again, uh, I'll talk about it in future chapters especially once the fascists came in, we were led to believe we were enemies. And unfortunately, even now, we are spending our time fighting with one another. But when we go to the genesis of how Muslims entered Ethiopia, we'd see that our ancestors accepted the Christians. In fact, that the, their hospitality was so generous that most classical and contemporary commentators believe that uh, there's a, a particular passage in the Quran dedicated to this very uh, event that took place. And it says the following. Uh, you guys could find it in your Quran in Surah uh, 5, verse 82. It says the following. And you will certainly find that the people most hostile against the believers are the Jews and the ones who ascribe partners to Allah. You will certainly find that the closest of them in friendship with the believers are those who say we are Christians. That is because among them, there are priests and monks and because they're not arrogant. Surah 5 verse 82. In fact, in the Islam tradition, it's believed that the king converted into a, he became a Muslim. Uh, that's the Ethiopian king converted into a Muslim. Now, you know, that's what exists in the Islam tradition. Um, a lot of uh, the Christian tradition rejects this. At the end of the day, I think debating about these things are not that important at the time right now because what we need to understand at this time is that, number one, Ethiopians were willing to accept Muslims as a Christian nation. And number two, the fact that it's possible to live in harmony. It's possible if you work at it. But unfortunately, we keep fighting with one another. Now, there is no denying 
the various tumultuous occurrences uh, that followed several centuries between uh, Ethiopian Christians and Muslims, some of which we will look at in future uh, examples. But there definitely were some great moments. And my thing is, um, especially when you read a lot of history books, the points that are highlighted to the reader are the tumultuous period. And the part that we learn about is the tumultuous period, the, the bad parts. And we never sit back and think about, wait a minute, we also had some great moments, right? For example, we could talk about the Dahalak Islands, which encompassed a large number of Muslims uh, in Ethiopia during the Aksumite period. And they were able to freely engage in commerce and use this land as the center for economic growth. And these lands located in the Red Sea were its trading posts between Egypt and India. And this is important because when you hear a lot of the grievances um, from some communities who happen to be Muslim, they say that, you know, in history, the we were um, looked down upon. We didn't have, like, any freedom. We were treated as secondary citizens. And it's like, yes, there were parts in history where that did happen. But there are also parts of history where Muslims were a freely able to tra trade and they were doing great economically. Of course, again, if you follow a lot of history and you read a lot of history books, most wars do not start because of religion. They start because of economic troubles. When people are doing well economically, everybody's peaceful. When people are not doing well economically, then the world breaks apart. That's generally how the world functions. And here we have it in the Halak Islands for many, many centuries, Muslims were freely able to, to do trade. And eventually the community of Muslims had grown to such a considerable size that the islands began to be ruled by a Muslim official. I mean, this is a big deal, right? So they were even able to govern themselves and the influence of Islam in Ethiopia was not limited to just these islands, however. Eventually, their impact became so powerful that there were even attempts to establish several Muslim states within Ethiopia. So, all this is telling us that, uh, yes, um, there, we had problems in the past. Again, I'm not avoiding them. Trust me, I'm going to get into it in future chapters. But this chapter is just to say, look, 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 we had good times too. So, if we're going to tell the history of Ethiopia, let's tell it all. Let's tell the positive as well as the negative. Um, and all this to say again that if Ethiopians are accepting Muslims into Ethiopia as a Christian nation, the very idea of charging the Ethiopian church or linking the Ethiopian church to a particular tribe is erroneous. I mean, it's just that's just not true. It's just not true. I mean, like, I wouldn't mind to talk about it and say, okay, this was a problem. This is history. We need to correct it. But it's just historically not correct, right? Um, another time we see Ethiopia's hospitality is during the time of the Oromo expansion. Now, I should say that I'm very much aware of the current times. And uh, as I was writing, there were, you know, certain parts that I kind of, like, sped through and I just wrote quickly. And there were other parts where I really slowed down and, and took my time with it. And this is this is one of the sections. In fact, arguably, this took me the longest section to, to, to write. It was just like a, a few pages. But I was like, I cannot get this wrong. 
because I get how sensitive of a topic that this is, right? And, you know, I, I'm very sympathetic. Uh, there are many grievances being made by um, some of the Oromo community. And, uh, and for that reason, I spent my time because I, I didn't want to get it wrong. And I wanted to tell the right story that represented uh, all sides. You know, I don't want that smoke. I don't want it. Mm -mm, not today. Uh, in fact, many people told me, yeah, take it out. Don't put that on yourself. Take it out. Don't include that. And I'm like, well, that's the problem, right? Like, we can't run away from the history. We kind of have to address it. We have to be responsible in the way that we tell history. But we don't, we don't avoid history. Now, if you're don't know what's going on you're not up to date about ethiopian politics you might be confused like what is this guy talking about just tell us the story don't make a big deal about it but uh it's kind of important because um this is this was one of the main like hot 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 topics that led to a lot of you know the tensions in, in ethiopia the past several years now if you're not aware of the Oromo expansion uh essentially it is referring to how Oromos expanded their presence into the northern northern region of Ethiopia around the 16th century or so. Um, and the reason why the Oromo expansion is a, is a hot topic is because, uh, well, in, in, in the past like two, three years or whatnot, um, in Ethiopian politics, uh, they, some people are arguing that, you know, what does expansion of Oromos really mean? What does it entail? And this actually became like the center of the argument for a lot of people based on their explanation of an expansion. Some people inferred that Oromos were not Ethiopian to begin with and migrated into Ethiopia only in the 16th century. Think about that. So they were saying that, you know, there was Ethiopia for many thousands, for, you know, thousands of years or whatnot. And then in the 16th century, here comes the Oromos and they came into Ethiopia. And, you know, whereas others were saying, well, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. Oromos were always there. They were always present. They were always part of Ethiopia. But what happened in the 16th century is that they migrated into the northern region of Ethiopia. You see how that works? So when they migrated in to the northern region, it was dominated by the uh, Christian Ethiopians. Hence, that's where the first one of the first interactions happened between Ethiopian Christians or almost. Um, and the reason why I wanted to take my time with it is, you know, I wanted to represent both sides, right? And and to me, I, I can say that based on the very little that I know, I'm not an expert in, in Oromo history, but I could tell you that it makes sense to say that Oromos were expanding into the northern region of Ethiopia, meaning that they were always there. It's not like, you know, some people are saying like wild things like they came from Madagascar. I mean, like, that's just I, I, I this is I, I don't see how that's possible and I don't believe it. But it makes sense to say, you know, they expanded. They were there. But, uh, you know, they started coming in towards the north. Now, what I want to be more interested in is um, how how were the Oromos able to uh, be successful in their expansion in a very short period of time? 
Because if you're not aware, uh, Oromos were quickly able to integrate with the people of Ethiopia and filled like high-level offices. In fact, within 60 years after their arrival, there were five Oromo states emerging in the Gibe region and two, two more in the Walega region. I mean, this is remarkable. So, you know, the question is, what was the cause for this great expansion in a very short, relatively short period of time? Well, I believe that the Oromos were able to be success, successful in their expansion because, well, you know, our ancestors were kind of awesome. I mean, like, you know, and I'm saying our because I believe that I'm, you know, uh, I am Oromo, I am Amara, I am, uh, you know, all, all, all of the nationalities. I, I don't have Tigray blood in me. Uh, but I, I have a lot of friends uh, who do. I, I have uh, family members who are Muslim. So when I talk about these communities, I say, like, uh, I am. Um, you know, I, I have I have no problem, you know, you know associating myself with uh, Gurage tribe, with whatever tribe from all over the place. That's why I say our history, our history. And, and, and. Uh, when it comes to Oromo, I say our history as well. And I, you know, like I said, Oromo was able to expand because uh, they were awesome. Now, the Oromos had very uh, innovative style of military combat. And, and they employed uh, what was like nocturnal attacks and surprise raids, which allowed them to fight effectively. I mean, this is why they won a lot of their battles. And this ability, combined with the fact that the Oromo men were trained to be warriors from an early age, gave them an edge over anyone who stood against them, right? So, I mean, they were, you know, they were very skilled fighters. So, yeah, this is why they won. And this is something I think pretty awesome. But the point I really want to make is that Oromos had a pleasant culture that enabled them to assimilate with whomever they encountered. Uh, now, our Oromo ancestors adhered by the teaching of the Mogesa, which means like adoption. And politically, what this meant is individual uh, um, like groups of one Oromo tribe can be adopted by another or, or, or subgroup of stranger peoples. Or whole ethnic groups can be incorporated and given like an Oromo identity. So this practice inadvertently promoted inter-ethnic clan relations. Donald Levine is noted as claiming that the feature of Mogasa has influenced the evolution of Ethiopian society. All this to say that our Oromo ancestors were kind, smart, and powerful. And when they began to expand into the central and northern Ethiopia, they were met with similarly kind, hospitable folks who had already been living there. It is worth mentioning that conflicts did arise between the Oromos and others living in the region at the time. There is no denying this reality. I'm not walking away from our history. Again, we will look at these conflicts in the future. But to me, it seems that people often reflect mainly the conflicts that arose during this period and not on the positive nature of our ancestors were able to work through their conflicts and join forces with each other. So here's what I'm trying to say. When we narrate history, it's important to convey both the good and the bad that ensued.
in this chapter, I'm simply highlighting the positive aspect of our history, an aspect that's often neglected. Well, that's all I have for today. Um, I know this was kind of a relatively uh, shorter episode, uh, but I hope you know you're you're learning about Ethiopia and and you know thereby the Ethiopian Orthodox Order Church. And I hope I answered the question effectively in saying that there is no indication that the Ethiopian Orthodox Order Church is somehow linked to a particular tribe. This is just propaganda. This is just something that was proposed by some people in order to divide the nation. And that's the part that hurts. A lot of people are not taking their time to do their due diligence, to read the history, to understand what's happening. But, you know, they watch a quick YouTube video or their parents tell them something or they hear something on a radio and then they run with it. We are all brothers and sisters. We should come together. We should be at peace. We have spent too much time fighting with one another on a topic that we really do not understand. It, it's better, like I always say, you know, the guy in the countryside in Tigray doesn't understand the politics you're telling him. The, the you know, the sweet, innocent mother in, in Oromo land is not sitting down, uh, uh, you know, telling you the names of the ma major uh, politicians. You know, that, that Ethiopian Orthodox uh, uh, young kid who is martyred who's killed is not fighting for a particular cause the amhara child who dies like their their parents are not grieving uh because of you know whatever uh group you're telling them to to, to stand against they just want their kid to live they just you know the farmer wants to eat food you know they like, everybody wants a little peace and I wish we could work through that. And I, I promise, I feel like we've been fed a lie of, you know, always being told that, you know, there's the other. We're not the same, but we're other. We're the other group. You are the other group. This idea is toxic. And these, this is how nations fall. Anyway, if you're interested, keep listening. I hope you're learning. Let other people listen. Um, again, I want to encourage you guys to, you know, buy my book, uh, if you haven't done so already, follow me on Instagram. And if you want to become a, a patron, you can do so by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash David Mundina. Thank you so much. For